Ah, Father, we thank you for this, this, this place, just this refuge of peace and comfort, of being together, gathered in the name of your Son, who is our inheritance, our Savior, our Redeemer. So, Jesus, we ask now that you would just take all of our hearts and, and begin to uh, shift our focus from the things of this world to you, so that uh, when we look at you, Lord, all the things of this world grow strangely dim in the light of your glorious grace. So now open your word to us, Lord, and teach us uh, to believe and to follow you faithfully in this world. It's in your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I'm going to take this off and keep an eye on it. I'm trying. I came to a, I had an epiphany that the Holy Spirit doesn't need me to speak for 35 minutes to get his message across. So I'm, I'm, I'm working on watching the time. It's good to be with you. It was really good to be with you. Last week, I think I was like, there's a little bit of nervousness in the air and kind of like, what's this going to be like? But now I feel almost used to it. It's good to be back together. Um, we're going to be looking at uh, Matthew 28 primarily today, but something occurred to me while in prayer over the sermon this morning, and it is just the, the fact that... Um, so much of who the Bible says we are and what we have and what we have access to because of Jesus Christ are things that we often actually don't live as if those things are true. They're, they're hard to be aware of. Like, are you kidding me that the God who created canyons and waterfalls and eels and, and the seas like loves me personally and wants to like meet with me on a daily basis, things like that, right? Or that um, Ephesians says that we are blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. It says that we are effectively seated with Christ in heaven, like that we're already in a sense positionally we're there with him. We've been covered by his blood. And if you believed in him and you've trusted in what he's done for you, you've immediately become a son or a daughter with the full inheritance of an adopted child. And so we, a lot of the Christian life is actually trying to bring our own awareness into alignment with what God's word says is true about us. And it's not the easiest thing in the world to do. Right? We live in a, like a world full of distractions and there's always so much to think about. And actually part of the fall, the effects of the fall and sin on human humanity that we don't think about is it actually affects our, our mind and our conscience and our consciousness. So which means it affects our ability to be aware of God's presence, God's love for us and all those things. We don't, we don't often think about that. But so there's a, a lifelong process of growing into who the Bible says we are. Learning to use what the Bible says we have. Learning to be who the Bible says we are. And it's a lifelong process. And I want to talk today about um, authority, the authority of the Christian believer. Because I think this is a huge thing that, that we miss. We don't realize the authority we have. Now, I don't mean an authority to go out and hammer somebody and push a political agenda or something like that. I mean an authority uh, primarily in the, spirit, in the spiritual realm um, is ultimately where it is to bring about renewal and restoration and salvation into the, into the world. So I want to talk about authority today, and I think that this is where, what the passages uh, get to. I know it's Trinity Sunday, but I figured I wouldn't spend the, the, my time trying to explain the Trinity to you. You know who does that great is C.S. Lewis in his book, Mere Christianity, so you can go read that <laughs> on your own time. If you haven't already, you should. Uh, it's, a, it's a wonderful book that explains many of the basics of the Christian faith. But we read from, we heard from Genesis chapter 1 today, and as Gordon read the, that passage, it was lengthy, wasn't it? And I started to feel, now I know what some of these people feel like when I'm preaching. But it was a long passage, but it's this beautiful 
picture of God just unfolding order and beauty into the world and bringing about the creation. But what we see in the Genesis 1 and 2 passage there is that right from the beginning of the biblical storyline is God sought partnership with humanity. So if you, if you remember, he says that he blessed them after creating Adam and Eve. It says he blessed them and he said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. This is actually the first great commission. So we have Matthew 28 today, right? We call that the Great Commission. Go into the world, make disciples. This is the first Great Commission, and it's God speaking to Adam and Eve, and he says, go and make something of the world. Fill it. Bless it. I'm giving you dominion. I'm giving you authority to do something. I'm sharing my, my, my kingly royal rule over my creation with you, and you are, in, a, in essence, kings and queens co-rulers with me on the earth to bring about my goodness and beauty into the world. So we see the Bible starts with cooperation and partnership with God, like personal partnership, cooperation with God to bring about good in the world. But then, of course, as you know, the story where the story goes is that authority gets lost in Genesis chapter three, because the enemy comes in in the form of a serpent. He gets them to do the one thing God told them not to do, not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, because that was for him and him alone. And they do it anyway. And in so doing it, they, they lose their authority. God had, in essence, given them the keys of his kingdom on earth, and they handed the keys over to the evil one when they, when they obeyed him instead of God. So... They, lo- they lose the authority, and you see what happens in the Bible after that is, is the downward spiral, right? Everything kind of starts to get flushed down the toilet. It goes, it goes pretty bad really quickly. But it's, it's a loss of authority. Now think about it. I was trying to think of like a metaphor for this. Think about it like this. Think about like there's a family jewelry store in your family that's been around for generations. And your dad is getting old, and he's the one who's been running the shop and owns it, and he hands you the keys. And it's a very special and glorious day. And he says, take care of it. It's yours. Take care of it. But he says, look, there's an inner vault and you just don't go in the inner vault. The most precious jewels are in there. I just don't want anything happening. That's for me to tend to right now and me alone. So don't go in there. Right. And then this suspicious but charming uh, uh, patron comes in and he, and he starts saying things like your dad just doesn't want you to include you in the family all the way. How dare he like not include you in the family? Why don't you just go take a peek in the vault? Like you owe that to yourself. Your dad won't be that upset about it. He's just trying to, he just wants to make things sure, th- sure things are safe, right? And you go in and you go in and you take a, a peek in the inner vault, falling to temptation and, and the suspicious character takes your keys and leaves. Okay. So that's kind of a picture of what happened with authority in the spirit, in the, in the, in the earth with our, with the authority that, that God intended us to have from the beginning is we lost the keys to the kingdom. And in, in essence, they were sort of handed over to the evil one, right? That's why the Bible says the God of this world, referring to Satan, right? Because he has temporary authority in the world. Now, this is interesting. So the Gospels, if you look at the stories of the Gospels, from, sort of from a bird's eye view, it's a big sort of battle between Satan and, and Jesus, pretty much. God and the enemy, light and darkness. It's, it's, that's the general thing that's happening. Jesus comes on the scene and he brings light into the darkness and it's a battle. The first thing he does in Mark's Gospel in his public ministry is cast a, a demon out of a guy in the synagogue. So you see right away at the beginning of the story, God and Satan are head to head in battle through, in the person of Christ. Okay? So Matthew 4, chapter 4 tells us a story about Jesus being led into the wilderness to be tempted of Satan. Remember the story? 
Now, if we get to the end of the story, there's a few things that Satan tries to tempt him and Jesus is faithful and he doesn't succumb to it. <clears throat> but it, this, is the, this is the third one. It says the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in all their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give to you if you fall down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, and he quotes from the Old Testament, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. So you see, Jesus, he's like a new Adam who's being tempted and he doesn't succumb to giving the enemy the victory. Okay? He doesn't take the authority that Satan offers him over the world on Satan's terms. And that's what Adam and Eve did. They took the authority over the world on Satan's terms. Okay? But Jesus doesn't do it. He's faithful. You see, um, the, the devil always wants to provide us an easy way to victory. Now, you, you can tell from your own life experiences, the enemy always wants to, to give us an easy way to victory, right? But we know, we know that rarely does anything come easy without cost in this world, right? And Jesus knew that that was the same with his mission that was given him from the Father because he was going to win the authority of the world back in the way that he was commissioned to do it, which was to suffer and die for the sins of the world, not to bend his knee to Satan. Right? Not to go the, the, the route of triumph and glory and, and military might and smashing Rome and all those things. It was to lay down his life in humility and absolute love. That was going to be the way he would gain back the authority. So the cross is Jesus's manner, his, his mode, modus operandi for regaining the authority that was taken from humanity. You know, Jesus was fully human. He's a representative for us. And we, God needed a human person who would faithfully wield his authority. And Adam missed the ball. And so Jesus, in this passage, he, or in the Gospels and in his journey to the cross and his death, he gains the authority back. He gets the keys of the kingdom back. Okay, you tra- tracking with me here so far with the authority thing? Good. So one thing that I want to comment about this, though, is that we, in our society, we are programmed to find the easiest way to do everything. There's always an easy way. There's an app. There's a click. It's a button away. It's a pill away. It's, it's, it's whatever. We're always given easy, easiest way to do everything, and we become sort of conditioned to think that when life gets hard, it shouldn't be this way. There should be an easy way to solve this, right? Now, I'm not saying all modern technology or medicine are bad things or something. that They are, but we just kind of get into this mindset where things should just be easy for us. But you see, God often uses the process of struggle in our lives of fo- to form in us the person that he created us to be. Okay? Jesus became who he was meant to be, lived into his mission by, through suffering and obedience. Okay? So, so don't get discouraged if there's something in your life that feels like it's taking a long time. There are things in my life that I feel like are taking a long time. Don't, don't get discouraged about it. Right? Or if something's proving extremely difficult or there's a relationship issue in your life and you've been trying to resolve it for years, don't get discouraged. Sometimes through that, realize that through that process, God is working to, to, to form you. So the thing to do is not get discouraged and throw in the towel. It's to look to God and say, what are you trying to do? What are you trying to teach me through this? Right? How are you trying to, to form me? That's a little bit of a rabbit trail, but I felt like it was worth mentioning because it's so easy, especially in our day and age, to get discouraged about things. Right? We're learning to wait right now aren't we in a lot a lot of ways more than we want maybe more than we want to so let's look at matthew chapter 28 because i want to talk about authority and pick this theme back up 
So we're just going to kind of walk, walk through the passage. Verse 16, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. So think about mountains in the Bible. The mountain was a place between, of intimacy between God and Moses, right? So Jesus is like fulfilling all these old types of, of the Old Testament. He's the new Adam. He's the new Moses, right? So he takes them up and in the, on the mountaintop, they have an encounter with God. Just as Moses was always commissioned on a mountaintop to go out and take God's word to the people, there's sort of a picture of that going on here. Isn't that cool? I love stuff like that. It's because I read people, I read books by people who are smarter than me. I don't figure these things out on my own. But that's cool. So it says that they, they, they worshipped him. Verse 17, they worshipped him. Isn't this always the best posture in which we should meet Jesus? That's the best place to start in the morning, right? Even before we get into the, please, I need your peace or all. We want to get to there, but the best place I think to start is to start with worship. Lord, you're the king today. You're the king forever. You're on your throne. No matter what life brings at me today, you are the king. You're the lamb of God. You're the spotless one who died for my sins. And I, you have won my inheritance for me in the eternal realms. I love you, Lord. Right? Starting with worship. It says that they worshiped him. But then it says some doubted. The disciples, after the resurrection, had doubts. After seeing the wounds, had doubts. And guess what? Jesus didn't say, Buzz off. Get out of here. He's patient. He's patient with our doubts. Okay? Doubts aren't sin, but what we do with doubts is important, right? And we know that the disciples, they pressed in deeper, right? The important thing is that we keep moving towards Him. Don't let doubt drive you away from Him. That's what the enemy wants to do. Doubt, it, 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 it should not make you feel guilty and full of shame. Doubt should cause you to press deeper into Him. Lord, help me to understand this. Help me to surrender to the things I don't understand. Right? And it can bring about great, deep intimacy with Him when we have that posture t- towards, towards Him. So here's what He says. Jesus came to them and said, All authority. Everybody say that. All authority. In heaven... And on earth, okay? Spiritual, unseen realm. Visible, seeable realm. Visible realm, okay? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Why? Because he went to the cross. He fulfilled the Father's purpose for him to to be the sacrifice for the sins of the world. Not by bending his knee the easy way to Satan, right? So, all authority has been given to him. So, he's won back the keys to the jewelry shop. See, he won back the keys, but he won them back for us. Remember, he says to Peter, I give you the keys of the kingdom. The gates of hell will not prevail against my church. Right? So Jesus has taken the keys back by shedding his blood on the cross. He defeated Satan. Satan got duped at the cross. He got tricked. He thought, oh, this is great. I've got the, the anointed one hanging up on a tree. Victory. This is what I want. And little did he know, God was going to raise him from the dead and vindicate him on the third day. And then when that happened, with that, that prophecy to Eve in Genesis 3 got fulfilled that he would crush the serpent's head, that one of her offspring would crush the serpent's head and Satan was defeated and Jesus won back the victory. Hallelujah. Amen? So, here's what that means. There's not a single square inch of the physical or spiritual realm where Jesus Christ does not have total authority. Think about that. 
There's not a single square inch of the cosmos or of the unseen cosmos where Jesus Christ does not exercise total authority. That should give us comfort and confidence because that means that someone good is in control. And you look at the world around you and say, that's hard to believe, Father Cameron. Yeah, it is. But someone good is in control. And there's promises that keep us living lives of hope that all will be made new. But you see, Jesus has authority because he's won a decisive victory over the powers of evil. It's, it was decisive. When the cross happened, it is finished, Jesus said. The battle has been done. You know, when World War II was claimed like, proclaimed like over that Nazi Germany had been defeated, there were still little battles going on on this shorefront in this city that had to kind of be finished out. Okay? That's like the age of the church that we're living in. There's battles that need to be fought, right? But the victory has ultimately been won. We won. That's good. We have won because we are in Him. So why do we see so much evil and suffering and murder and selfishness and adultery and greed and all of these things in the world? It's because the power of the cross is still being applied. And there are many places of the world where the power of the cross, the blood of Jesus, has not been applied. The authority and the life-giving power of Jesus has not yet been applied, right? It's like, I always say it like this, it's like a cure for cancer got discovered, but once the cure for cancer gets discovered, then it has to get distributed and applied to people who need it, okay? That's what the mission of the church is to apply the cure, which is salvation in Jesus Christ. Hear me. Because in this age, it is, it is, it is, um, I want to be careful how I say this, but it's, it's sort of, um, a popular thing to believe that we as a society can fix things. No matter what it is. But really, this, the, the, we cannot do that. Because the problem that, what, that, why there's all this brokenness in the world right now is the human heart is broken. And it needs to be healed, and it can only be healed by Jesus. Amen? And that's the, that's the cure. Right now, we want to be people who advocate for those on the margins and we want to do all that. Right. That's helping. That's those are ways of applying the victory of Jesus. But we want to proclaim Jesus Christ and him crucified and bring souls to him so that hearts will be changed. That's how the world will be changed. So now Jesus says this. All authority is mine. Verse 19, he says, therefore, this is an important word. Therefore, that is now because of this. Now this, because I have all authority, therefore, you go. Make disciples. Jesus is so humble. He delegates. The first thing he does, he wins authority and he delegates it to others. He says, I'm giving you the authority. Go and make disciples. Make people who follow me as you have followed me. You see, and this time, the authority that he's given us, it's not just to make something of the earth like it was for Adam and Eve. It's to have dominion in the spiritual realm. Do you know that you have authority and dominion in the spiritual realm? Because Jesus says so. In Matthew chapter 10, the disciples got a little bit of a foretaste of this. It tells us this, And he called to him his twelve disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and affliction. I have seen, I, I, have, I have been a recipient of, of his authority and been seen it practiced in casting out evil spirits and I've seen it practiced in sick being healed. You have that authority. 
See, this is what I mean about living into the awareness, growing in the awareness of what we have and who we are based on what the Bible says. But rather than what the world tells us or what is just kind of floating around in our minds, right? We have authority. And so again, it's partnership. Jesus, the first thing he does is he calls his disciples, just like God did in the, in the Garden of Eden. It's sort of the Garden of Eden thing kind of happening again in a new way. And, God, and Jesus looks at his disciples, right? And he says, I'm giving you authority to go out and to make disciples of all nations. That's amazing. See, we, 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 um, if we believe that and lived deeper into it, we'd be more effective disciple makers. Amen? Because we just wouldn't care if we got rejected or shot down because we have authority. God is backing us up. Heaven is backing us up when we go out to make disciples. That's awesome. And God knows there will be times when we fail and people reject us, right? And you, you, you wipe the dust off your feet and you move on to the next. Okay. Now, you, Christian, and me are being invited, commissioned actually, to triumph over evil and to bring the victory of the cross of Jesus into the world around us. So I want everyone to say this. I have authority. I have authority. Let's say it again like we mean it. I have authority. We have authority to practice. We have to take risks. We have to be bold. But we have authority. Jesus will back us up. I missed an opportunity yesterday to exercise my authority. I missed it. Can I just tell you that I fail all of the time and it's a process of growth for all of us? I was at U-Haul getting a propane tank filled so I can grill some brats this afternoon. And uh, the gentleman who helped me out came back to, I had Benji with me and so it was kind of raining. We're standing like in the garage in the U-Haul and uh, he was like ringing me up and I noticed like he went like this. Ah, and he like went like that. And I could tell, and this Holy Spirit was like, he has back pain. And I didn't pray for him. I missed an opportunity. And I, I didn't feel God afflicting me with guilt or anything about that, but I felt him sort of gently show me, you asked me for opportunities. I showed you, I pointed out, he, you saw that he had back pain, and you know, you, the thought came into your mind to pray and heal it. And you know, you didn't, you missed it this time. You'll get the next one, Right? There's always opportunities around us to exercise that authority. We, we miss them sometimes. But the Holy Spirit's not going to just dro- drop, drop you to the curb because you missed an opportunity. Just get back on your face before Him. Lord, I'm going to steward it right this time. I want to do it again. So make disciples. Let me say something about this. Make disciples is the only imperative in this little line of things that sound like commands, right? So, so there's go, there's make disciples, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. Now, out of all, most of those are participles. And for those English nerds in here, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, but the only imperative in the passage is mathetuseta, make disciples. So this is what Jesus is saying. All those other things are happening as you're making disciples. You're going to be baptizing people. You're going to be teaching them and training them to follow my commands, right? But make disciples is the imperative in this thing. So, it's not simply to get people to make, say a prayer and make a decision for Jesus. I'm all about that. I'm all about people saying a sinner's prayer and accepting Jesus into their heart. I believe that that's powerful. There's moments of conversion. The Holy Spirit comes and people get saved. But we are to enable people to faithfully follow Jesus all their lives. That's what a disciple does. It's a, a disciple means learner, someone who's learning, constantly following their master, imitating what he does. 
and we are to enable people. Would that we be a disciple-making church that doesn't just get people to make decisions for Christ, but teaches them to live for Christ. That's our commission from Jesus. So I want to point this out. Jesus is concerned that, that we help others live a life of obedience to him. Right? We, we stop short if we say the grace of God and the offer of forgiveness and God's love is on offer for you. Do you accept it? Yes? Great. Have a nice life. You see, we miss that grace transforms and that we're called to lead people into a life of obedience to Jesus, to proclaim him not only as Savior but as Lord over every area of life and to give their total allegiance to him, right? That, that Jesus would be the Lord of what goes on in their workplace, in our uh, family life, in our bedrooms, in our, our private areas, that, that Jesus would be Lord of everything. Jesus wants us to teach his commandments, right? Well, what does Jesus want us to obey and teach people to obey? Sermon on the Mount's a great place to start. Purity of heart. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness will be filled, right? The blessed are the peacemakers, right? That's a great place to start. And people will learn to obey what Jesus commanded by watching us do it, right? That's the best means of imparting that to others. It's not just telling them what to do, but by living it, living it out. As an example, now it's important. I'm, I'm going a few more minutes, a little bit longer than I, I intended to, but it's still a lot shorter than last week's sermon. So, <clears throat> this is important. Jesus says this: "I will be with you always, even to the very end of the age." See, this is a partnership. This is intimacy. This is friendship with the Lord. When we do these things, this isn't slavery. This isn't doing chores for God. This is friendship with God lived out in the world through our public witness to Jesus. At the beginning of Matthew's gospel in chapter one, we're at the end of it. In the beginning in chapter one, we're told that Jesus, his name will be Emmanuel, which means God with us. And how beautiful Matthew in a stylistic, literary, theological, beautiful way closes off with the end, the, the bookend, to have Jesus telling them, I'll be with you always. I'm the God who's with you always. I'm the God who makes what you do possible in the world, and I won't leave you, and I won't forsake you. And when he's flowing through us, we'll have so much joy and excitement that we actually want to share the gospel because we believe he loves us. We know the treasure that he is, and we'll want to share that with others. We're starting a, we started, some of you probably know from Facebook, we started a thing called Driveway Church during the pandemic, and we've been meeting for almost eight weeks now out in our driveways with neighbors worshiping God and, 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 and getting into the Word, and it's been amazing. Well, Driveway Church is about to become Living Room Church because it's getting too hot outside. There's a lot of storms, so it's going to become Living Room Church as of today, but the goal is is to reach our neighborhood with the gospel. And we're just going to do some old-fashioned, probably door-to-door evangelism starting in the next few weeks, going out, talking to people in their yards, saying, hey, you know, these are dark times and we're just out. We believe there's hope in Jesus Christ. Can we pray for you? you have anybody sick who needs prayer in your home who needs to be healed? And we're just going to go reach the neighborhood. I'm excited. I'm excited. And you're invited. It's at 4 p.m. You can come. It's at our house. We're going to have potlucks afterwards eat brats and use that propane. I'll pray for him next time I go to get it refilled. I just wanted to share that with you. It's exciting. I want to start doing this stuff. I preach it. I do less of it than I talk about and I want to change that. I want to close with this. Jeremiah 
was a prophet. He was not popular. Uh, prophets never are. God gives them the truth to speak, and truth often uh, comes up against rejection because it's difficult sometimes. And uh, Jeremiah said this, though, about the agony of being someone who couldn't contain what God gave him to speak. And he said this, Jeremiah chapter 20, If I say, I will not mention him or speak any more in his name, there is in my heart, as it were, a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I am weary with holding it in. Indeed, I cannot. Would that the realization of who we are because of what Jesus has done for us, the reality of the gospel, be a burning sensation in our bones that we cannot hold it in. We have to speak the word that he's given us. We have to walk out the commission he's given us. We have to walk in and exercise the authority he has given us. So let's be a church who walks in that authority. Amen? And, and let's be a church that makes disciples who make disciples, who make disciples, who make disciples, who make disciples. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, none of it is possible without you. And you meet us and you speak to us and you recharge our batteries and you encourage us and you remind us of who we are when we come before you to worship you just as your disciples did on that mountaintop that day. So Lord, I just ask that you would just take us, Lord. I just I feel like you're just giving a vision that you're just taking us right now to the mountaintop. And so I just want to invite everybody to stand. Let's stand on the mountaintop and just worship and just receive an, an encounter from Jesus. So Lord, we give you this time of worship and we just receive this commission afresh from you, Lord. And we say we're your servants and we honor you because you are our king.